2: Hey, QED in San Francisco. I'm Marisa Lagos in Fermina Kim. Coming up on Forum. On June 7th, San Francisco voters will decide whether to recall District Attorney Chase Abudine. And in Los Angeles, the effort to recall District Attorney George Gascone is collecting signatures to meet a July deadline. Supporters of both recalls claim the DAs are too lenient on offenders and are to blame for an uptick in property and violent crime. But have San Francisco and Los Angeles actually become less safe? And what impacts have the district attorney's policies had on their respective cities? We'll discuss the recall efforts and pandemic crime rates in both cities. That's next after this news. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Marisa Lagos. Early data suggests that property and violent crime increased in San Francisco and Los Angeles in 2021. And that's helping drive campaigns to recall both San Francisco's district attorney, Chesa Boudin, and Los Angeles DA George Gascone. The San Francisco recall election is scheduled for June 7th, and in L.A., supporters of the recall are collecting signatures to meet a deadline in July. We're going to talk about and contextualize these crime rates, as well as how they're being used by both recall campaigns. And to help us do this, joining us first is Magnus Lofstrom. He is policy director of criminal justice and a senior fellow at the Public Policy Institute in California. Magnus, good morning. Thanks for joining us.
3: Good morning. Great to be here.
2: So I we're going to talk to a couple of reporters who are covering these recalls and, and the DAs as well. But I wanted to start with you because I think it's important that, you know, we, we start with some facts. <laughs> um, so I, I guess to start, can we kind of can you kind of start by putting in context where we are when it comes to crime rates historically? And then maybe we can talk a little bit about the last two years and, and sort of what's happened since the pandemic began.
3: Right. Uh, No problem at all. So if we look at if we start by looking at violent uh, crime rates and what happened over the last few years, um, we saw that they were pretty flat in 2020, the first year of of the pandemic. Um, But that kind of hides the fact that we had a notable drop in robberies while uh, there was a big jump in homicides, about a 30 percent increase in homicides in California. Uh, and also an increase in aggravated assaults. Um, Our violent crime rate is roughly where it was in 2010, which is before the state embarked on the number of uh, significant criminal justice reforms. It's roughly where it was in the late 1960s, much, much lower than it was in uh, in the uh, late 80s and the early 1990s. So... That's kind of where it is. We've seen um, the increases in homicides and aggravated assaults seemingly continue um, in in twenty twenty one.
2: And these were national trends too, right? The violent crime in particular. Um, Is there any sense, like, what drove that in twenty twenty? Do we know? I know that it can be challenging to kind of disentangle different factors.
3: I think it's very difficult to, to put it on something uh, you know very specific. I think at any point in time, when we look at changes in crime rates, there are so many factors that contribute to that. Anything from uh, drug market, drug use, gang activity, uh, policing strategies, as well as policing staff levels, uh, what's happening in the economy, uh, statewide and, and local criminal justice policies and reforms are also likely to have some impact. Uh, but when we're talking about the the last few years, these these are pandemic years and, and led to so many changes in our lives, how we live our lives, where we work, how we travel, socialize. And, and it also presented so many challenges to the criminal justice system. Uh, there was civil unrest. So there's basically a long list of potential factors that contributed to, uh, to the changes that we've observed over the last two years.
2: So what I'm hearing you say is that largely California has tracked with some of the national trends over the last two years. And obviously, we're still collecting the data from last year and, and, and disentangling those complicated factors. Uh, stepping back even further, can we talk, look at Los Angeles and San Francisco? What have we seen in these cities compared to the rest of the state?
3: Well, I think if, if we, again, focus on those uh, big concerns in, in violent crime, homicides and aggravated assaults, uh, those increases that we experienced in California in, in 2020 are, are really not uh, unique to LA and San Francisco. They are, are widespread across California and across the nation as well. So certainly when it comes to uh, to those changes, they're, they're not unique to LA and San Francisco. Um, and the if we look at property crime in 2020, they dropped notably in, in LA and San Francisco in certain types of crime, uh, both cities and the state. So increases in auto thefts that seemingly continue in in 2021 in some of the cities that we can track. So, again, they don't appear to be unique to uh, San Francisco and L.A.
2: And before we get into these individual prosecutors, you mentioned 2010 as kind of being the beginning of a, a real um, change in the way California, you know, started to approach criminal justice. A lot of reforms uh, began then and, of course, continued, you know, through the 2010s with Prop 47, which we hear a lot about in 2014, uh, Prop 57 a couple of years later. Do we see any huge impacts that you can trace from those reforms um and i think putting in context with national figures as well right because obviously this is a big state and there's a lot of different jurisdictions here but we can kind of tell what's tracking across the u.s right versus what's happening in california
3: right and 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 these reforms have have actually really generated opportunities for us to learn a little bit more about the the impacts of uh of of the various policies and the efforts here in California to reduce our reliance on incarceration. And so if we go back, the first big reform was realignment in 2011, which shifted a lot of the uh, uh, responsibilities from the state prison and parole uh, to county systems like our our sheriff's departments and jails in particular, as well as probation departments for a certain level of certain types of, of felonies. And um, there is no research that uh, finds any impact on violent crime of that particular reform. Our work found that it did lead to some increases in property crime that was uh, driven by an increase in auto thefts. Uh, And when you fast forward, Prop 47 is another one. As you said, it's at the center of many of the discussions today. Again, uh, the work that we have done does not find a link between Prop 47 and any changes in violent crime. And that goes for other research as well. Um, But we did find that there was some uh, evidence of of an increase in in property crime in in 2015 again. And that was really driven by larcenies and especially uh, car break-ins.
2: And describe what larceny is.
3: So larceny includes like car break-ins, shoplifting, uh, those types of, of, of thefts.
2: So those are the kinds of crimes that have gotten a lot of attention, particularly in San Francisco. And, and I think people have connected to the pretty progressive district attorney here, Dean. Um, What do we know about, I guess, first of all, the impact? I mean, does property crime have an impact generally in driving violent crime rates or are those usually pretty separate?
3: It's it's hard to tell. We they they can move very differently. It 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 again uh, depends on what kind of factors are are driving those changes. Um, but if we look at shoplifting in in San Francisco, for example, we saw a very notable drop by more than thirty percent in twenty twenty. Um, but now oh. in twenty twenty one, we've seen some some increases in, in shoplifting. Um, But that really doesn't appear to have started until, say, around August of of 2021, when it started to Mm. tick back up. And so it's not until really late 2021 that we're seeing those numbers uh, come up to the pre-pandemic levels.
2: Interesting. So what what does your research and, and other research tell us about the impacts of individual district attorneys on crime in general, on criminology? Is there a link between. You know, who is the prosecutor in any specific county and and what we see in terms of crime trends?
3: I think this is coming back to that issue that I mentioned before, that there's so many factors that are, are driving our local crime rates. Um, and certainly the possibility of local criminal justice um, policies can have an impact on those. That's that's possible. But to tease them out and and see what kind of impact they have on this broader measure of public safety is, is very difficult, uh, given all those other factors. So it's 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 going to be very hard, and there's no uh, research that that really credibly and reliably uh, links the uh, public, uh, you know, uh, district attorneys efforts and and these broader measures of public safety that are that we see in, in local uh, crime rates uh,
2: you mentioned policing though before is one thing i mean is there evidence showing that police presence or sort of the the way police sort of interact with the community has has an effect
3: yeah no i think that's that's a little different right there there's definitely a a uh, a research body that finds uh, links between policing. If you look at the policing um, numbers, so the staffing numbers and the presence of police, it does have an impact on, on on crime rates. And that's not surprising, I don't think. And part of that impact is is on deterrence that just, we can kind of imagine this ourselves. If you see, see a law enforcement officer, it might change your behavior and you might think twice before committing any crime. So it's not surprising. Uh, those those numbers of in terms of policing, yes, it does matter, and and not surprisingly, policing strategies matter as well.
2: We are talking with Magnus Lofstrom. He is Policy Director of Criminal Justice and a Senior Fellow at the Public Policy Institute of California. Uh, What are your thoughts on these recall efforts? Have you decided how you're voting in San Francisco? Have you signed your name to the petition in Los Angeles? Call us and let us know why or why not. We're at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or you can email questions to Forum at kqed.org. Magnus, just a minute or two left before this break, but I do want to get to one thing, which is given what you've just laid out in terms of the sometimes indirect sort of understanding of what we have about an individual prosecutor and, you know, crime rates and and community safety, do we see a difference between red and blue counties, for example, right? I mean, both of these uh, recalls are Driven by the fact that a lot of people think these DAs are too liberal. Do we see different outcomes in conservative counties?
3: No, we actually don't. When we're looking at these last few years, the trends that I've noted are trends that we can really observe in both uh, liberal and more conservative counties as well. So it seems like they are they're broader and more general than being specific to any particular uh, county.
2: All right. Um, We are going to keep talking in just a minute about the efforts to recall the DAs of San Francisco and L.A. and the role that pandemic crime rates are playing in both uh, cities. We've been talking to Magnus Lofstrom, Policy Director at PPIC, the Public Policy Institute of California. we come back, we're going to be joined by Megan Cassidy of the San Francisco Chronicle and Frank Stoltz from KPCC. Uh, Give us a call. Let us know what you think about the recalls. If you're voting to recall Chase Aboudin in San Francisco, are you supporting the recall of George Gascone in L.A.? Or are you opposed to them? We want to hear from everyone. Give us a call at 866-733-6786. Get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. You can email us at forum at kqed.org. We'll be right back.
0: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.
2: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos and Fermina Kim today, and we are talking about the recall efforts of the top prosecutors in both San Francisco and Los Angeles. I want to bring in a couple reporters now. We have Megan Cassidy with us. She covers crime and criminal justice for the San Francisco Chronicle. Good morning, Megan. Hi, thanks for having me. And also Frank Stoltz, reporter for Los Angeles public radio station KPCC in Los Angeles. You can also read his work on las.com. Hey, Frank. Hello. Um, so glad to have you both. We're already getting some comments. I'm going to read a couple of them before I get you guys to weigh in. Lou writes on Facebook, they both got to go. The streets belong to law abiding citizens, not to the people who commit crimes and wackos. And another listener tweets, if you can't or won't do the job, resign so someone can. So, <laughs> as you both know, a lot of strong feelings about these prosecutors. Um Frank, uh, let's start with you. I mean, you heard Magnus at the top. You cover this as well. What do you make when you hear about the sort of crime data and the complicating factors around it um, compared to the rhetoric we're hearing about both of these DAs?
5: It's fine to say that the uh, crime rate is going up across the country. uh, And it's also fine to say that uh, crime rates are significantly lower than they have been historically. Uh, At the same time, Uh, the murder rate in Los Angeles over the last two years went up 50%. Um, There have been uh, high-profile smash-and-grab robberies of department stores where people will rush in and grab things, Mm -hmm. uh, often in in, uh, upscale areas like Beverly Hills, Uh, some follow-home robberies that are caught on video where people are followed home and robbed. Um, And, you know, so while there's been this increase in uh, homicides um, and also I should note you know a, a small increase in property crimes and while uh, Gascone has you know cannot be uh, necessarily blamed for these there's no real evidence connecting uh, the increases in these crimes uh, nonetheless uh, people see them uh, and are very open to the argument uh, that the DA with his new policies uh, which are designed to lock up people for less time, uh, it's very easy to make the argument that he's to blame.
2: Yeah, I mean, Megan, is that what you're seeing here too? It's it, it's less about like sort of the data and more about how people feel.
1: I I think that that's a uh, a fair thing to say. Um, you know, in, in a lot of cities, somebody like the mayor would be blamed for. Um, Per a crime on the streets, um, or the police would be, especially if you see like the police uh, right now have very low clearance rates, which means the arrest per uh, crime that's reported um, but i but I think a lot of it is is messaging um, mm. the mayor, the chief of police has some has tough talk rhetoric they're both pro reforms, but they also uh both are be- bemoaning this the street crimes and property crimes and that's just really not Chase Buchinsky's platform he he came in as a reformer uh to take on the systems that had uh, increased incarceration in california and across the nation and so really that's just just not his brand and mm. and i think that people pick up on that and uh fairly or unfairly uh blame him for the crime in the streets.
2: Yeah, well, sticking with you, I realize we should probably give our listeners who may not be as familiar with either of, of these politicians a little a little background. Can you just uh, give us the rundown on Chase of Boudin, Megan Cassidy? Where,
1: What did he do before this? What did he run on? Sure. Yeah, uh, Boudin was a public defender in San Francisco. Um, and, you know, of, of course, in a career as a public defender, this is a job that inherently has an antagonistic relationship with police. And so even from early in his campaign, we saw him pushing for reforms that are universally championed by public defenders and almost universally criticized by police. So this, this would include a zero dollar bail. Now, any, anybody that's not a, a danger to society is going to be let out. Um, this would be you know a decrease in gang enhancements uh, because there is a pretty strong uh, association with linking um, gang crimes with people of color and then, Probably the most important thing here is or between his relationship with police is he about, he vowed about to aggressively prosecute police officers who are accused of misconduct. And that, of course, is going to make police uncomfortable.
2: Yeah. And, and Frank, um, I mean, our listeners in the Bay Area might be more familiar with George Gascon. He was police chief and DA here before running in L.A. where, I mean, it seems like down there he was really recruited by um, left-leaning activists, including Black Lives Matter, uh, to run for this role. Can you tell us a little bit about him and kind of how he fits into the historic role of D.A. down there? Because his predecessor was uh, distinctively more conservative, it seems. Uh,
5: He has a very different resume uh, than your D.A. in San Francisco. Uh, He uh, was an LAPD cop uh, who rose to the rank of assistant chief. Uh, And then, of course, was chief in Mesa, Arizona, chief in San Francisco and D.A. in San Francisco. Uh, And so his his, with his progressive policies uh, where he's seeking less time in in prison for criminals, uh, the law enforcement community sees him as a turncoat. Uh, The police union staunchly opposed him. Uh, uh during the 2020 campaign um you know this former cop now embracing these these policies that don't want to lock people up for for as long they were really angry so in in a, in a sense uh you know the rank and file prosecutors many of them uh you know tied to the old policies uh of, of tackling crime with basically more police and more prosecution you know plus police unions uh it's one it's one reason that they're really uh interested in getting them Uh, out of office, you know, in addition to, you know, what they see as his policies leading to more crime.
2: Yeah. And sticking with you for a second, Frank, I mean, Megan brought up sentencing enhancements. This has been a a big uh, debate down in L.A. And some of the um, policies that have gotten the most pushback from, say, his deputies were ones that he imposed, I believe, on what, like his first day in office?
5: Yeah, his first day in office, he enacted a, a sweeping set of reforms, without a lot of consultation uh, with the office, with his prosecutors, uh, and those included uh, no longer filing sentencing enhancements uh, for gang affiliation, for using a gun during the commission of a crime. Uh, We reported late last year, uh, he he files virtually no misdemeanors now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so so that's where folks say, hey, look, this must be contributing to the increase in crime. Again, there is no empirical evidence, but what you hear is, for example, I was talking to one prosecutor who said, you know, a guy who has a felon caught with a gun, a driving caught with a gun, um, that is a non-serious crime, felon with a gun, Mm -hmm. um, believe it or not. And, um, you know, previous DAs would have sought to keep that person in jail, locked up, uh, depending on their record. Let's say they had a previous record of a, a, a gun crime. Uh, under Gascon's policy, those folks are typically uh, being released. So you hear these these anecdotes uh, of, well, you know, that guy's now back on the streets. uh, And that's one reason the murder rate is going up. Like you said, it's happening across the country. um, And and again, there's no empirical evidence to show that Gascon's policies uh, have caused that increase in the murder rate.
2: Yeah. And uh, Megan, is there similar here? I mean, uh, uh, I mean, Frank brought up the idea of anecdotal evidence. It does seem like a lot of the criticism of Chase Boudin is driven not by broad brushstrokes, but, but individual cases and, and places
1: where people are unhappy. Sure. Right. And, you know, I think that that's something that um, we see uh, on TV a lot, on Twitter and media where um, you have this one brazen case. Uh, let's say you know there was a case of somebody who was uh, robbing a Walgreens, just stuffing everything that he could into a trash bag, riding out on his bike, and the um, security guard and other Walgreens patrons are just standing by, helpless. Um,
2: that went viral, it, I think we could
1: say. <laughs> it, oh, totally. Yes. Yeah. I probably didn't even need to describe it that much. Um, but yeah, I mean, people are holding up cases like this as evidence but, of a larger trend. And, and what happened as, as, in that as,
2: case ultimately?
1: So the guy did get arrested. He, he got arrested. He got prosecuted. Um, I'm not sure if there's been a, a conclusion in that yet. Um, but one thing that, that is interesting to note is that, um, if, is that a lot of times when there is a, uh, you know, a similar type of a smash and grab or a robbery at Walgreens, a lot of these people aren't even getting arrested in the first place. And so, one thing that Shays and Eugene will always point out is we can't prosecute without having an arrest first,
2: right? And I and I think um, you also mentioned the the. It, it is interesting how. In San Francisco, in particular, it seems like a lot of things are are, the point. The fingers pointed at the DA, not the police chief, not the mayor. Um, I I mean, you've covered a lot of other cities. Do you think that that is the moment we're in? Is it Chesa Boudin specifically? Like, how do you sort of square that that conversation?
1: Um, I think that maybe it's not just Budin specifically. I think that it is the it, it is the progressive prosecutor movement because you know it, it is different from the old guard. We're we're used to having DAs who um, their platform is we are going to prosecute cases as aggressively as possible. We're going to push the legislature to. Uh, make more crime enhancements, not less. Um, you know, if, you're cut with, if you're caught with meth, that's going to give you five years in, in jail. And so this is just such a departure from that traditional way of thinking that, that I think that it has um, kind of caught a lot of people off guard.
2: Yeah. And Frank Stoltz, I mean, I think you and I met first like 15 years ago covering three strikes reform efforts. Like, do you think that some of this is just a backlash to the changes we've seen in the in the criminal justice system over the last decade or so?
5: The recalls? Yeah. Uh, I would agree that that uh, these two are, uh, you know, the, the most prominent of a new group of, of DAs across the country who are uh, uh pushing and enacting you know these dramatically different policies uh from the past so so you know it, it is sort of a new way to think about criminal justice um that voters in California only recently began you know to embrace um it, you know it's extraordinary to me that in 2020, you know, it, it was this year of reform in LA. We passed uh, a Measure J, which shifted money from law enforcement into social programs. And here, just two years later, uh, you know, we we see really a public safety year. Uh, you know, across, and we see it playing out in our mayoral election as well. And so, um, you know, it's it, 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 what what's causing this extraordinary shift? Is it whiplash well, or backlash? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, in LA at least, um, you know, some of it is. Uh, you know, growing homelessness, which right. is a very visible problem. People, of course, see it in every neighborhood. Frank, and hold it, that thought has,
2: for one second. Sure. I just got to uh, tell everyone that if you're just joining us, this is Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos and Fermina Kim, and we are talking about the campaigns to recall San Francisco District Attorney Chase Boudin and Los Angeles District Attorney George Gascone, with Megan Cassidy from the San Francisco Chronicle, Frank Stoltz of KPCC in L.A., and we still have Magnus Lofstrom with us uh, from the Public Policy Institute of California. California. Sorry, Frank. Uh, Finish that thought. So you were connecting homelessness and, and, yeah, like kind of broader quality of life stuff that people are really upset about seeing.
5: Yeah, people are looking around and saying, what's going on? You know, they're seeing on TV, you know, um, these sensational crimes. uh, And then they're seeing in their own neighborhood, you know, uh, uh, a lack of order you know, what they would probably describe, a lot of folks would describe as a lack of order with lots of homeless folks. And by the way, I should add, there have been some really high profile murders in Los Angeles over right. the last much, two, uh, two months. Uh, a very well-known philanthropist in Beverly Hills, Jack Avant, you know, uh, an off-duty police officer in, in South LA, uh, a woman working in a, in a furniture store along La Brea, uh, in the Fairfax district. Uh, a guy walks in at uh, noon, middle of the day and stabs her to death, doesn't, doesn't know her. Um, it's unclear the motive. They have made an arrest, a nurse sitting at a downtown bus stop. So, you know, these, these kind of crimes, you know, are really hitting a nerve.
2: Yeah. Um, if our listeners want to chime in, um, they can give us a call. Uh, tell us what you think about these recalls in Los Angeles and San Francisco or maybe just criminal justice in general. We're at 866-733-6786. Or you can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We are at KQED Forum or email us at forum at org. I want to bring Magnus Lofström, um, You know, Frank hit on a lot of stuff there. One of the things he did mention was the kind of um, social justice movement in 2020 that really, you know, resulted after uh, the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis with a lot of protest, um, a lot of promises to move money away from policing, actually. What do we know about that type of civil unrest and and, and the impact it has had historically on crime?
3: Well, um, we... I mean, first of all, we see instantly in, in crime numbers some impacts. We saw uh, commercial burglaries jumped right around the civil unrest. So we saw those kind of things, but it died down. But if you look at it a little bit more broadly, I think it's, you know, the, the challenge there is um, that it coincided. At the same time, we started to see some increases in in crime. Uh, homicides and aggravated assaults, as I mentioned, and, and understandably, these are big concerns to, to people. And it is, uh, those are the types of crime where uh, policing is is very important. Um, I think that, you know, the, the other part of that is it's a reflection of of this notion that, well, policing isn't the right answer for every type of situation. And I think that it was Uh, also an effort to move us away from traditional law enforcement to alternatives, especially as we're dealing with behavioral health problems. You know, Frank mentioned homelessness. That's a big problem in, in California. This is not unique to any of the counties that we're talking about. It's a big problem. And with that comes some challenges, you know, behavioral health challenges in terms of mental health and, and drug use as well. And uh, certainly there is a need for, for addressing those things. And I think combining what we saw in terms of some increases in violent crime, it just made it uh, a little bit more difficult for those reforms to uh, move forward.
2: Thank you, um, Magnus. We're going to take a call. We have Philip here from San Francisco. Philip, go ahead.
0: Hi, uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, I just wanted to say that I'm really against the San Francisco recall, and I think it's deeply problematic. We have huge issues of poverty and racial justice. We have a candidate we elected to work on this, to implement new policies, to talk about criminal justice reform. And the moment, we hit a tough spot. We're reverting to this tough-on-crime, lock-up-black-and-brown-people mentality that has gotten us here in the first place. Um, so there's a lot I could say, and I don't want to take up too much time. I think no, the recall process the call, yeah. is being used incorrectly. And uh, I think that as San Franciscans, we need to sit and be like, we need our city to be better. We need it to treat minorities better. We need racial justice and criminal justice reform. Um, so let's talk about how we can do that and not just revert the moment things get tough.
2: Thank you so much, Philip. I appreciate it. Uh, Megan. Is that a sentiment you hear as well i a lot I know the supporters of the recall are obviously very vocal, but do you think that there is um community support for Boudin and his policies
1: i I do think so um and it may they may not be as vocal right now, but um you know if somebody were to ask me if uh, if I thought that the recall would be successful, I really have no idea um. There, there was a, an interesting moment at the uh, a, there was a, a Lunar New Year parade the other day where there were some recall uh, supporters that were following uh, following Boudin and, and his wife uh, you know, and you know, ob- obviously protesting him. But a lot of the times they were they were drowned out by supporters. Hmm. So it's really I think that it's anybody's guess right now.
2: And we're going to uh, take a short break. When we come back, I do want to talk about the personalities and politics of both of these DAs because, you know, they are politicians and that, <laughs> that matters, too. Uh, we're talking about the efforts to recall both the DAs of San Francisco and Los Angeles with Magnus Lofstrom from PPIC, Megan Cassidy of the San Francisco Chronicle and Frank Stoltz of KPCC, one of our sister stations in L.A. Give us a call. Let us know what you think about the recall efforts or criminal justice in general, 866 8667- three three six seven eight six you can also find us on twitter and facebook at kqed forum we'll be right back after a short break
0: support for forum comes from san francisco opera
2: And welcome back. I'm Marisa Lagos. In for Mina Kim today, we are talking about the efforts to recall the prosecutors in Los Angeles and San Francisco. Michael tweets at us. Boudin is a natural public defender, believing that the system is broken and most miscreants should be set free for a district attorney. We need a guy motivated to put bad guys away fairly. Um, and then we also have a call from Chris in Santa Clara. Chris, go ahead.
3: Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Um, I, I Kind of a, a question for your guests and also a point that, you know, we, I think we all need to remember, even up here in the Bay Area, that San Francisco is such a different political creature. I mean, it's a city and a county. Mm-hmm. I mean, just even throughout the Bay Area, you've got there's no other county, you know, where you don't have a separate board of supervisors and a bunch of cities, and a bunch of police chiefs. In San
1: Francisco, it's just one police chief, one mayor, one district attorney. That's it. In L.A., I believe there are 89 separate sovereign cities. That means 89 separate police departments. And I wanted to see if the comments, maybe the the, the guests could
3: comment on the differences. Because down in L.A., Gascon's, you know, both can have support and detractors across an entire 10 million person county with 89 cities. Here, Boudin's got a a much more provincial uh, group of people to whom he's got to report.
2: Thank you so much for the call, Chris. Frank Stoltz, um, I mean, tell us, (laughs) L.A. is a a very hard jurisdiction to get your arms around. Um, Do you think that is impacting this? And what are the kind of general political dynamics down there? Does Gascon have support from elected officials or or anybody in law enforcement?
5: Sure. Just to get something uh, on the ballot, uh, recall on the ballot, uh, it takes uh, at least uh, nearly 600,000 signatures uh, you know, from valid registered voters. Um, and that means, of course, collecting probably 800 because a lot of the signatures will end up uh, being from people who are not registered to vote. Uh, and that means, uh, you know, signatures ca- can cost between, you know, five and fifteen dollars to, to hire signature gatherers. So you, you'll probably need upwards of seven million dollars uh, just to collect the signatures to get something on the ballot. Um, the the uh, the campaign to oust him last year didn't get anywhere close to that i think they collected about a million million and a half uh this time they say they have collected and have commitments for well over uh 2 million dollars um you know last year it, it, it's it's notable that almost all of the the donors uh were republicans many of them trump supporters it was easy for the da you know to paint the recall effort you know as a as a Trump-backed, Trump motivated effort. Um, this time uh, it's a little different. And in part because of these high-profile crimes uh, and the homelessness issue, you know, that, that's grown over the last few months. Uh, it, there have been a, a few Democrats, uh, longtime Democratic donors who have contributed to the recall campaign, mm-hmm. including Ron Burkle, you know, who used to pal around with, with Bill Clinton. Uh, he's donated six figures. Uh, you know, it, it's not it's it's not uh, uh, it's not a, a complete uh, rush of former su- Democratic supporters, you know, going to the recall campaign. Uh, but, you know, somebody mentioned, you know, we're, we're in you know, we, we're we making these reforms. We're trying to adjust the criminal justice system. And As soon as there's an uptick in crime, um, you know, people abandon these reformers. And I think the subtext was, you know, uh, white liberals uh, mm-hmm. often abandon these Uh, these reformers because crime crime is uh, encroaching on their wealthier neighborhoods. Um, We haven't quite seen that yet, uh, but we, we are seeing a little bit of it uh, and that will have a big uh, you know, that will determine in part whether or not they'll collect enough uh, signatures.
2: Yeah. I did notice that there's been some Hollywood money and I, and I, I I, I remember um, there was that high profile killing of the philanthropist, Jacqueline Avant in her Beverly Hills home. It does seem like sometimes these cases can can drive people... Megan, I mean, in the Bay Area, we've seen kind of the venture capital community uh, come out in support of this recall. But, I mean, can you talk a little bit about the politics here? Like, do you feel that uh Chase Boudin has always been effective in kind of articulating his point of view defending these policies maybe making the connections with other people in the, in you know among city leaders that he needs to
1: um he has the majority of support on the uh, San Francisco board of supervisors um but yeah his his relationship with with the uh, Mayor Breed and Chief Scott ha- has been strained for a while, and and recently has has gotten worse. Um, and I think one of the things that is really difficult to articulate for for many reasons are the success stories. So I mean, just even from my own reporting, I, I would would say, okay, well, let's find somebody who has benefited from these reforms, who has gotten out of prison after several decades or you know, benefited from having a zero dollar bail and these success, they're hard to come by um, because while they happen, a lot of times these people don't want to be in the press. They, they don't want to talk about the worst day of their life or the worst experience of their life. So what we're left with are just the stories, that are coming from the other side. Yeah,
2: and you've done though some data dives, at you and your colleagues. I mean, one thing you looked at was like charging rates. I mean, how does Chase and stack up with other DAs or his predecessors when it comes to charging cases that are actually brought to them? Because as you pointed out, prosecutors need to need the cases from the police in order to do their job.
1: Yeah, I mean the the charging rate. I actually kind of surprised me. It really isn't that different from. Um, some of their counterparts in, in neighboring counties. So uh, in Alameda County, uh, where uh, moderate Democrat Nancy O'Malley has been the DA for a decade, um, they have had a slightly higher charging rate than the San Francisco District Attorney's Office uh, from 2017 to 2020, um, which was the dean's first year in office. But then by the middle of last year, those figure splits. Um, Boudin's office filed charges in 56% of the cases that were presented to it, and uh, Nancy O'Malley's office filed 45%. Um, Sacramento so, pretty County much received... like
2: kind of in the ballpark there, right? Very similar, yeah. exactly.
1: Right. And then in Sacramento, uh, Sacramento had a higher charging rate um, over that period of time um, for both uh, Alameda and San Francisco. But then last year, they got a lot closer. Uh, Sacramento's charging rates were still slightly higher, about 59 uh, percent by mid-year um, versus San Francisco, which is at 56 percent. Interesting. So and we still, should say very comparable.
2: Right. And their DA is running for attorney general really on a ma- more sort of law and order um, platform than the current right. attorney general. I mean, Frank, in L.A., uh, we've seen over the past week or so, Gascon kind of backtrack on some of his um edicts around juvenile justice and and not charging crime. I mean, I don't know if we have to get into all the details of that, but I'm curious, like, do you feel like politically the DA down there has been a good messenger for himself or has he been able to, you know, sort of build any bridges with folks within his office that he might that might be wary of him?
5: He has a terrible relationship with a lot of his prosecutors who, again, are these old school prosecutors uh, and, and not all of them, uh, are old school prosecutors. Some of them, uh, you know, are open to changes, see the need for changes, uh, but, uh, are angry and frustrated and see as wrong-headed Gascone's, you know, uh, policies of never filing, uh, uh. A gang enhancement, you know, hardly ever filing a gun enhancement, never filing a, a misdemeanor, mm-hmm. um, you know. So these blanket policies, they like to call them, you know, are just not reform. Um, you mentioned a couple of important shifts by the DA, which I, I'm just going to mention very yeah, go quickly. For it. You know, he he had prohibited um, filing uh, prosecuting juveniles in adult in adult court. He said no juvenile should be prosecuted. Uh, as an adult. Of course, you know, what he said was, um, you know, there's research that shows that youth are, you know, his words, malleable and continue to mature until they're early to mid-20s. So it's not fair to, to charge them in adult court, he said. Uh, he switched that policy last week and said he will now consider that. That was in part because of a couple of high-profile cases, one of them uh, involving uh, uh, Hannah Tubbs, uh, who uh, was 17 years old when she sexually assaulted a 10 year old, wasn't arrested till she was 26. But Gascon still kept her in juvenile court. Now she's in a juvenile facility uh, for two years. That's got a lot of people angry. You know, there are jailhouse tapes of her kind of bragging about that. Um, And then this other big change, which is he said he would never seek life without the possibility of parole, would never file special circumstances because he believed everybody deserved a shot at parole. Everybody deserved a shot to change he's changed that he says he will now consider seeking you know uh, life without possibility of parole you know two significant changes um he says because he's heard the concerns of the community he's heard the concerns of colleagues um you know and of course he's he's under heat from the recall right. uh so uh uh clearly there are some concerns in uh, in his camp uh, about this this recall and 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 the political atmosphere uh you know that it's happening in
2: Do you think that speaks to maybe the need for um, flexibility in all this? Because, I mean, it it almost feels like we've we've come from, you know, an era where most DAs sort of threw the book as many enhancements as possible. And 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 it's sort of Gascon was trying to go the entire other direction. Um, I don't know. Could there be a meeting ground (laughs) here, Frank, or do you think the sides are just so embittered at this point?
5: Well, you know, you talk to the political scientists about, you know, change agents and what's the best way to achieve reform. And, you know, is it is it, you know, um, enacting all of the reforms, lock, stock and barrel at the beginning like he did? Or is it, you know, trying to seek buy in, which he really didn't do uh, and not just from his own prosecutors, but also from the bench? It really didn't consult with them much um you know and a lot of lot will tell you you should do it all at once um but there's debate about that. Yeah. Uh, but there is no question that um uh you know his his policies have angered many of his own people um and uh there is an argument to be made that that they that they're too rigid
2: Absolutely. I'm going to read a couple comments. We have Steven saying, I'm a liberal Democrat, but even I'm concerned about rising levels of crime in the Bay Area and nationally, both property and violent crime. Too many of my fellow Democrats and progressives, though, seem to be wedded to the mantra, crime isn't increasing. We just hear about it more. That's a slap in the face to the harsh reality many are facing on a daily basis. And our tone deafness on this issue is one of the biggest risks to our electoral prospects in future elections. Daniel writes, hasn't Chesa Boudin become so embroiled in controversy to be rendered ineffective as district attorney in San Francisco? And James says that recall elections are mainly a tactic of far-right extremism. Have there been even been any recall elections for a white right-wing uh, elected official? Um, this is Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos in Fermina Kim today. All right, we are continuing to talk about the recall efforts in both San Francisco and Los Angeles. Um, Magnus Lofström, I mean, you heard this comment from Steve. Um, I think that's that's true. Like, do you get that pushback ever to the work you do that it's not really about what the data shows, but it's how people feel about this stuff? Because it is obviously important. Personal safety is probably the most important thing.
3: Well, I think I think it's important to recognize that there are some increases in crime and, and some of those are troubling. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there, there's a reason for us to start to think about what is driving the increase in homicides and, and, and aggravated assaults. Uh, so that's understandable. I think that's, that's an important part here. Um, it, it's not knowing what's behind that is obviously not satisfactory at all. It's very frustrating. Um, but I think if we're going to look at the impact of DAs and, it's look at what are the specific policies that are being implemented by DAs and look specifically how those policies actually have an effect on the individuals or the types of offenses that they are implementing reforms around. Um, but definitely it's understandable that, that people are, are frustrated and, and, and no doubt there are some crimes that are in the uptick. Uh, some of the crimes that we've seen come up in the last year, particularly in the property crime, it's coming up, but it's coming up to a pretty low level where we were before the pandemic. And I think that's important to keep in mind.
2: Yeah. And I mean, we've heard a lot of talk um, from both Megan and Frank about questions of sentencing enhancements and sort of adding on, you know, extra time. I mean, Frank talked about some cases where you might not even uh, have a charge to begin with. But um, I mean, what what can we say about that? Because, I mean, my understanding in some of these cases is it can add quite a few years, but you might already be going to prison for quite a few years if you have, say, a violent crime charge that that is
3: successful. Yeah, and I think that's kind of part of it. How are you implementing those enhancements and what kind of sentence links are we talking about here? If you're adding, uh, you know, you have a sentence of about 15 years and you add an an, an enhancement that brings it up to uh, in the 20 plus years. Uh, typically what we're looking at is that someone at the time that they're being released is relatively old. And when we look at that relationship between crime and age is uh, you typically, a lot of offenders age out of criminal behavior. So the chances of of recidivism at those older ages are are, are relatively limited. Uh, There's the possibility, of course, but The effectiveness of these enhancements, there isn't a strong research body that shows that they're particularly effective in terms of reducing crime. Got
2: it. Um, We have a couple more comments. Uh, Josh wants uh, to point us to Riverside County, where he says it is like the Wild West. It's a very rural area compared to most of the rest of California. He says the district attorney's office goes after people who can pay money into the legal system, a real series of travesties for all the cause for all for the cause of monetary gain uh, another listener writes that police hiring and public policy development should be conducted by a jury of peers community representatives who are minors, elders, multi-generational, multi-gender, multi-ethnic, multi-income and not politically appointed um Uh, Frank, I mean, bringing up Riverside, I know I I think you're covering the Orange County DA race as well. I mean, this seems like an area where we kind of ignored prosecutors for a long time. And now a lot of these races, even not just recalls, are becoming pretty heated.
5: This is the battleground for reform, no doubt. We focused on police departments for a long time, and we should still focus on police and sheriff's departments. Uh, But really, the, the battleground over reform uh, is, is at the DA's office. And I think, you know, we're really in a moment this year where uh, voters are going to decide, you know, whether or not to continue these reforms uh, or to roll some some of them back. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 uh, and all the politics around that and, you know, the lack of imperial, empirical evidence uh, to, to link some, you know, the DA's policies to the crime uh, but there's a real concern that he's in some sort of experiment, and we will only know that there's empirical evidence linking his policies to an increase in crime sometime in the future, and it'll be too late. I want to say <laughs> yeah. one thing. Um, you know, there. there yes. Uh, you know, the people who are being murdered largely are black men, and uh, so so the, the crime crime rates are going up in a lot of the the tough neighborhoods, and. You know, the question is, uh, you know, but but voters in 2020 said we want to approach these problems in different ways. You know, it, they voted in a reform uh, D.A. And um, the question is, is he going to have time to to enact his policies and to see if they work?
2: Yeah, for sure. Megan, just a few seconds left. I mean, what what will you be watching in the coming uh, days and weeks as as the June recall approaches?
1: Um. Oh, gosh, a lot of things. I mean, I, I think that uh, you know one one of the, the biggest battlegrounds now that that it's being closely watched is uh, is the police department going to be able to pull out of this agreement um, with the district attorney's office that names Chase boudin's office the lead investigator in uh, in cases um, that are involving police use of force? Um this has become a hugely hot topic and and has, really actually uh, generated some uh, support for Boudin's office who say that we cannot allow police to go back to investigating their own. Um, So this is something that has actually really um, electrified voters. And um, another another one I would say is... uh, I
2: think we're going to have to leave it there, Megan, but we will talk about this more. That was Megan Cassidy. We also had Frank Stoltz and Magnus Lofstrom. Thank you all for listening. I'm Marisa Lagos. This is Forum.